Well, there was this, this story about um, these two young boys at breakfast. You know, maybe they're four and six, five and seven, whatever. And um, they were arguing who was going to get the first pancake. Well, if you uh, mothers and so on, fathers uh, say, well, you know, it's a good time to teach a spiritual lesson. So the mother said to the two boys, you know, if Jesus would he- were here, he would say to give the pancake to the other. And the older boy said to the younger boy, you be Jesus today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this morning we're talking about the servant and the king. (laughs) And of course, they're the same person, Jesus. And I was reading this, oh, I think I was going to speak on this last week, Isaiah 53. And and we're reading it out of the Message Bible. And the thing that I I, uh, like about, well, Isaiah has so many. He's considered the Messianic prophet, that he's able to understand what the Messiah who he is, what he is, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And he has this inside track, as it were, on the life of the Messiah. And he's some 500 years, 450 years before the birth of Christ. So uh, Isaiah writes, writes his message, and his, his message is one of hope, but also one of um, the people to renew their life and renew their, their, their relationship with God. So we find that in Isaiah 53, we have Isaiah writing about the Messiah, writing about Jesus. And if you could see an outline, a brief outline of the life of Jesus, we would see it here in Isaiah 53. It was like he was writing after the birth of Christ and after the life of Christ and after the Gospels that he wrote this. But it didn't happen that way. It happened centuries before. And this is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, that he prepares us in advance for that which is coming. God is preparing, for, preparing us. And um, I think of it in the context that our lives, that, you know, here we are, uh, the package. This is the package. Here you are. You got the package. <laughs> and um, what's in there is, is things that God has given you as your personality, as your, your good and your traits that need to be worked on, not bad ones, but ones that need worked on. Um, So he's put this package together, and it's you. He didn't want you to be somebody else, or you would be them. So he gave this person to you. This is your your designated person, (laughs) okay? And as this designated person, God is at work molding and developing and and, and shaping this whole thing. This is what we, we discussed in Sunday school lesson was about the potter. And we saw in the, in the lesson about the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God is that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, he knows everything. But the thing that oper- the, the one quality of character that operates his sovereignty is his love. See, without love, he would be a, you know, like the Greek gods, the mythology gods of vengeance and, you know, just crazy types of people that are just glorified gods that are just glorified humans running off on their tangents. So, but here we have the sovereignty of God playing into or putting in place the life of Jesus. Verse 1, who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? 
So who would, who would have imagined? If you're going to put together a Messiah, at least you should do, you know, you should put together one like, you know, David and riding in on a, th- riding in on a white horse and conquering or, or, you know, Solomon or one of the great kings and being able to, to you know, Alexander the Great or Herod or whatever. Not, I'm going to go back further than that. The, the pharaohs and things like that that are going on, they come and they conquer and they, you know, put the suppress. So they want a Messiah and their image of the Messiah is an oppressor, one who's going to come and conquer other nations. But you know, we're, our lives are very, very unique. And I think that our lives are like a cork, a cork in a bucket. <laughs> and no matter what goes in the bucket, the water, how much you put in, the cork keeps rising. And in our life, we look at things and we recognize, we don't think of them, we don't think of the cork rising, we don't think of ourselves becoming better, but we find that God is at work and God is working all things together for good, so the cork is rising. We are changing, we are developing, and God wants us to develop and grow according to his word. So if we look at Jesus, who would have believed that he would ever come like this? Who would ever believe that a Messiah would show up like this? And in our lives, who would ever believe that God would make quality and, and character and purpose out of us? Who would ever think that we would have the qualities of becoming great? Making an eternal difference. But you see, we make eternal differences in people's lives every day because we see them, we smile at them, we run into them. God arranges certain circumstances in just certain ways that they all come together. <laughs> Verse 2. The servant grew up before God a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched land. Who would ever describe Jesus <laughs> in that type of a character? Here's a scrubby, ruddy kid. <laughs> you know, he grew up a, a, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched land. Here is the king of kings and lord of lords. This servant grew up in a, in a poor man's house. You know, we think of, um, well, he wasn't poor. He had gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you know, <laughs> delivered at his birth. He had all these treasures. Well, the treasures were used to pay for his way to go to Egypt when they were flee- fleeing from the king trying to kill their life. So God had provided for them as they fled. You see, God has a way of providing for us before we have the need. God has a way of providing for us before we have the need. And, you know, if you think about how the, the, the divine provisions have come into our life, that none, none have ever seen, you know, the scripture says that none of uh, God's people have never been out begging bread or whatever. They're not, God always has a purpose and a plan and a provision. So our trust in God is that he will take the things that we are, things that we have, and he will continue to multiply them. He will continue to develop them. You know, I hear the, the story of a, um, a guy that he had an orchard. And the orchard, his property was, you know, hundreds of acres of trees. And he had an orchard there, and uh, I believe they were orange trees. And they were going to have this very heavy frost, well, he was a believing person. He went out and he, he marched around the perimeter of his, of his acreage, of his farm, and he prayed that God would protect his farm, that God would watch over his trees, and he prayed that God would bless his trees and his farm. 
Well, that night there was a severe frost, and the frost came up to all four corners of his farm and of his trees, but it never touched his trees. <laughs> the farmers in the area wanted him to march around their trees next year. <laughs> but you see, the idea is it's not foolish for us to believe that God can do great things with what we possess. God can do great things with what we possess. You know, <laughs> you're thinking, well, we have our, you know, our, our, our meager re retirement, you know, and I'm out spending my kids' retirement so that they won't have it to spend. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but, you know, why not pray for God to bless, you know, when the stock market gets fluctuates, it goes up and down. Why not pray to, that God would bless what you have, whether it's in stocks or whether it's in cash, whether it's that God would bless it and multiply it, that you would find the best deals. I, I kid Rhonda that uh, she goes to the mall and she's, the mall pays her to take things out of it, you know. <laughs> she's so good at shopping, you know. But she can come home and say, well, you know, with this coupon and this sale and this, this rebate and this whatever, I got this for three bucks. You know, it's $80 and she paying, you know, it's like, how'd you do that, you know. So I make up the joke they're paying her to remove things from the mall and she should go more often. <laughs> yeah isn't that right you should go more often so but we see then this this but the story here about christ is that he grew up before god he grew up before god he is the messiah he grew up before god and he is he is god but he has set all that aside you know sometimes at christmas time they have this um, story about jesus as a child and they have all these little, you know, raised frogs from the dead or whatever. It's not true. He didn't do any of that. He was an ordinary child, and we find here there was nothing attractive about him. That he was not a homely child, but there was nothing about him that made him stand out. Here he is, a brilliant <laughs> You know, only time we see him standing out is whenever he is in the temple talking to the, um, the scribes and talking to the priests and so on about the law. And it's like he, he has this uncanny wisdom and this uncanny ability. And it's inside of him. It's already there, but it isn't time yet. But we see him, there was nothing attractive. You know, like you see some people, <laughs> sometimes it's easy to pick out preachers, but not as easy as it was because we always used to wear suits and ties, you know, look like a preacher. Oh, there's a preacher, you know. But anymore, it's hard to do that. But, uh, you know, people look the part. Well, there was nothing about Jesus that took, looked the part of a Messiah. He was, he was not this attractive, you know, long flowing hair with a groomed beard and garments pressed and... Wow, there goes somebody who will be a Messiah someday, you know. There was nothing attractive about him and nothing to cause us to take a second look. So whenever we think of our life, sometimes we think of ourselves as ex excelling in ordinary. <laughs> you know, but it's, the, it's what God has put in us that gives us the extra. See, it's God's Word and God's Spirit that helps us flip this to become the extraordinary. That, it, it, you know, the ordinary thing done in a great way becomes extraordinary. Uh, there is a story about the little boy. I went on the Internet and it says it's not true, so I don't I know if it's 
true or not, but this little boy was at a concert hall and he was learning how to play chopsticks, you know. And, uh, you know, in the concert hall, he saw the piano and he left his father and went up on stage and, you know, they opened the curtain. Here's this kid picking away at chopsticks, you know. And um, at that time, the whatever the expert, the um, person who is the pianist for the night, the composer comes out and he has the boy continue the chopsticks, but then he does one of the symphonies that was built around those chopsticks and he does his whole thing and, the, and it all works together. And, and you see, whenever we think about our ordinary, God comes along with us and fills in the space. <laughs> God fills in all the extras, the runs and the notes and, you know, I sing off key, but... God, and he, he, he hears differently. <laughs> His ears hear differently because the, he's hearing what the heart is saying, not what the sound of the voice is. And so whenever we have our heart and we have our place in tune with God, he's in tune with us and he's working those things together for a divine purpose and good. And I, I, I really, more than ever in my life, I don't know why this has been such an important thing for me in the last whatever, six months, nine months, I don't know. But that God has, God has us in, in an exact place, in an exact moment for an exact thing that he wants to do. And sometimes those exact things are just shaking somebody's hand and smiling at them and saying hello. You know, the ordinary becomes extra because it's you, it's your presence, it's your hand, it's your smile, it's your talent. It's what you have that they don't have and you're giving it to them. And it isn't money, it, is, it can be money, but it's not necessarily financial. It's, it's just you. It's just you being a loving, caring person. Just you being a loving and caring person. That makes all the difference in the world because that's the extra that is missing in most relationships. God's love in you. So he, will, he was looked down. Jesus was looked down on. He was passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. This is not some guy with a golden spoon in his mouth. This is not what we would consider the Jesus to be the God-man that can you know, touch the Midas touch and touch things and they turn to gold. He could do anything. He could have had any of those things. He could have had angels waiting on him. He could have had the, the birds, uh, the ravens, like the prophet feeding, feeding him every day. He didn't, there was no need. He's God. Touch this, touch that. Gold and silver and money and food. The provision, that he, the miracles that he had. He only worked them for a purpose. He only worked them for a purpose in the lives of people. And you see, if Jesus would work for a purpose in the lives of people, turning water into wine at the wedding, you know, that was just for people. It was for a young couple who wouldn't go through the embarrassment of an eternal of their life among a village being looked down on because they didn't have enough. Feeding the five thousand with five flat pancakes and two sardines, you know, taking that which was not enough and making it a divine provision. That's what he does in us. See, we we we're caught up in this not enough stuff. <laughs> I don't have enough. I don't have enough. But take what you have and allow God to bless it. Take who you are. Take your mind, your heart, your talents, your abilities, and allow God to bless them. And if you allow God to bless them, you will become. 
you will become. That's the dream that he puts in our heart. The dream that we are to become, that's where God comes and touches the ordinary and makes it exceptional. That God has a way of taking your insight, taking that insight that only you have and turning it over and allowing you to hear his voice in that little still small voice. Somebody go, oh, I knew I should have done that and didn't. How many excel at that? <laughs> yeah. Well, if we would just slow down enough to do that, we would find it more we would find it happening more often because my people know my voice, my sheep know my voice. One look at him and people turned away. This is Jesus at the crucifixion. People turned away from him. We looked down upon him. Thought he was scum. You know, this is whenever we see the point where people are, David talks about this, my son David talks about this, when people look at the poor, he said, well, they deserve to be poor. You know, that's the, you know, they deserve this in those countries where, you know, they have nothing. And people, people have the opinion, well, they deserve it. In, in India, <laughs> The, you don't help the poor. You don't help the poor in India because in India they believe reincarnation. These people have come back at this state of being because they did something wrong in the previous state and we should not help them because then when they come back the next time, they'll know better and they'll move up the ladder. <laughs> you see, people don't deserve. We don't deserve but God has touched our life and we have this special quality. But Jesus was looked down upon. He was thought he was scum. <laughs> he was, he's, you know, who is this man? The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they spit on him. They plucked out his beard. They beat him with their fists. They considered him nothing. The King of kings and Lord of lords, they considered him worthless. They considered his life worthless. But the fact is, it was our pain that he carried, our disfigurement, all the things wrong with us. You see, when, when we do not allow Jesus to be who he is to us, he, what, he, what he is to us, he is our savior. Okay, look at that, he is our savior. He's the one who saves us from our sins. If we refuse to allow him to forgive us of every sin, we are making a mockery of his work. We'll only take part of it. We have to carry part of it because we did it. Then you earn your salvation. God, has, God forgives us. It's like, forgive me if I use these same old illustrations, but the only ones I remember. Uh, <laughs> this guy's walking and he's carrying a big heavy chest on his back and he's walking down the road and a guy comes along with a horse and buggy um, wagon and he says to the man get in I can we can you know I got two horses here and the cart the the wagon's empty you know I can take his oh no 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 I wouldn't want you to I wouldn't want you to take on this he says what you and the, oh, uh, this, this thing you're carrying it's not a problem get in the wagon so he got in the wagon and he's going down the road and when he turned around the guy's standing in the back of the wagon holding the cart holding the, uh, the, the big trunk. 
And, and the guy says, well, what are you doing? He says, put the trunk down and come sit down. He says, oh, no, no. He said, it's kind of you to give me a, a lift in your wagon, but I couldn't bear to let your horses take the weight of this trunk. He couldn't let the trunk down because he thought the horses couldn't pull it, but he were pulling both. You know, you know, you get the story, you know, it's not too far over our head. I, did, I told it right? Okay. Well, we do that with salvation. God has forgiven me, but he can't forgive me of this. You're trying to carry around something that Jesus Christ has, t- has taken care of. We, we worry and we fret, and we don't need to worry and fret. We need to pray and thank God and praise him and thank him because all the fret and the worry are nothing but a rocking chair. <laughs> I'm in motion, but I'm going nowhere. And so we just fret and worry, fret and worry, fret and worry. Where are you at? I don't know, but I'm fretting and worrying. <laughs> you know. But the, but the grace of God has come to take that away from us, and we say, God, I don't understand why this is here. No need for me to fret about it. It's yours. Take care of it. Give me a peace. Give me insight. Give me direction. God, this is wrong. I don't know what's going on, but God, I know you're the great provider. I have this need, but don't. I, I, God, you're the great provider. God, I have, I have this. I have that problem. God, you're the great provider. You're the healer. You're the sustainer. You're the forgiver of my soul, of my sins, of my shortcomings. You're the one who takes care of me. Because he loves us. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pain he carried, our disfigurement, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself. We thought he brought it on himself. That God was punishing him for his own failures. He who was perfect took the sin of the imperfect so that the imperfect could receive the perfection. (laughs) See? He who knew no sin, he who was pure and perfect without sin, took the sin upon himself that we who are sinful might be forgiven. See, salvation is free but it costs God everything. See, whenever we refuse to allow God to forgive us completely, we are telling God He did an insufficient part. He wasn't good enough. He wasn't good enough, great enough, whatever, to forgive everything that I've done wrong because you don't know what I've done. Well, Jesus took the entire sin of humanity upon Himself. All of the sins, all of the horrific sins, sins of humanity, he's taken them upon himself so that all of humanity can be saved. So we know people die in rejection of that, but God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be forgiven. But God, God was not punishing Jesus for his own failures. He was being punished for our sins. But it was our sins. It was our sin that did it to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. As horrific as the uh, passion is in the depiction of the crucifixion, I do not think that it totally gives us the picture of what they did to Jesus. 
It is a horrible beating and slashing and tearing apart of who he is, of his body. But I don't think it is the complete picture of what he did, of what they did. Because they would have despised and hated him and all the hatred of mankind was focused on him. The hatred of the Romans for the Jews. The hatred of the Jewish people for the, for the, the, against the, the, the sins and the, the, the mistakes of, of, of religion. And they hated him for presenting to them the truth and they couldn't stand to look at themselves. They couldn't stand to look in the mirror so they wanted to destroy the mirror. They want to destroy the image of God. They want to destroy the image of man. Satan wanted to destroy God. So all of the hatred of mankind and all the hatred of of people that could be focused on one person was focused on Jesus and they took it out on him. It was their time to destroy something. You think about people who just want to destroy things just for the sake of destroying them. Tear them down just to tear them. That's the type of hatred but only elevate that a few thousand times and you have the hatred that was focused on Jesus it ripped him it tore him it crushed him he took the punishment and that made us whole see that's why God we cannot hate we must forgive we cannot allow ourselves not to love because love covers a multitude of sins love has a way of allowing hatred to be dissolved and go away. Love has a way of telling us that we, that we have forgiveness in our heart that didn't begin with us, it began with God. And whenever I, whenever I cannot allow God to forgive everything in my heart, that gives me permission not to forgive other people. But see, I don't have permission not to forgive. I don't have permission to harbor hatred for one person. Therefore, I must forgive them. But in the same concept, if I can't forgive myself, I will not forgive them. So God wants us to forgive ourselves, to forgive ourselves for our sins in face of the holy God. And whenever I forgive myself completely, I am then allowing God to forgive, allow God to help me forgive other people. So if I cannot allow God to forgive me, then I'm fighting against the very thing that God wants to do. He wants to restore me to perfection. He wants to restore me to perfection. And the perfection is that I would look like Jesus on the inside. That's the perfection that he has for my life. He wants me to look like Jesus. That when people see us, they don't see Christ because you see what happened to people that didn't, they saw, they didn't like him. They despised him. So sometimes people don't like us. <laughs> but that's okay We still love them. He took the punishment that made us whole. What was needed to complete us? You know, some of you aren't all there. (laughs) Some of us aren't all here. You know, I got a few few bricks shy of a load. (laughs) Your elevator doesn't go the whole way to the top. In fact, some of our elevators only stop in crawl spaces. (laughs) So we find these places and what and God has come to make us complete. We're we're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. <laughs> if you have ever been around sheep, that's why they have to have a shepherd and a fence. <laughs> Cuz they can't they they you know they just they just go away, you know. 
If they don't have somebody calling them back, sheep are, they're pretty dumb, you know? <laughs> you know, we used to have sheep when I was a kid, but we had, we had them fenced in. Uh, all I remember about a sheep was we had this ram, and I was little. I don't remember how old I was, but he was always butting you, you know? So I fixed him. I put a bushel basket over his head. Then I turned around. He shook the bushel basket off. He found me. <laughs> Since that day, I have not liked sheep. Uh, but you see, we've all liked sheep. We've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing. We've gone our own way. And God has piled all, God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him, on him. So everything, we've gotten lost. We've just wandered off. Did our own thing, got off the path, whatever, strayed. Doesn't matter. God has found us. God has called us. He was beaten, he was beaten and tortured, but he didn't say a word. So we see in this passage, we see how Maybe we'll come back and revisit the second part next Sunday. But God has put all of this there together for us. He's put the package together for us. God is for our lives. He wants to, he wants to complete us. He wants to save us completely. He wants to restore what, the, what, what has been taken from us. He wants to restore what we have allowed to be taken from us. We, he wants to restore the things that we've walked away from, not knowing their value. He wants to restore everything. He wants to restore us to the position that we would be if we had never sinned. <laughs> he wants to restore us to that complete person. So the restoration process in, is in place. And so he's at work through circumstances, through, through his word, through, through his spirit, through coming to church, through worship, through praise. God has a way of blessing everyone who listens to, this, to his word. Being here is a blessing to our lives and will shape us and form us and bring blessing to us. It is hearing the truth of God and how that truth can come in and like the lesson we had this morning in, in, on the potter's wheel, the, God, the potter doesn't throw away the clay. He just works with the clay. Takes the, the, the air bubbles out. <laughs> Takes out the hard spots and softens them up. He needs them. And he makes that clay, works that clay. Until his word, his hand will form us. And you see, if we can allow ourselves to know God is at work in my life. The, the pressures of life are not forming us. And the things of life will never rob us. Because what God has given to us belongs to us for an eternity. He wants to form us into a vessel of honor. And a vessel of honor is the one that is used. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use us. Amen? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that God imparts its, implants itself in our hearts and minds. I thank you, God, that you've heard our prayers. I thank you, God, that you've prepared a blessing for us. And God, we want to open our hearts and our minds to receive of your gifts and your blessing. So, Lord, we thank you. We give thanks to you in all things. 
knowing that all things will come together, will work together, will fit together for good. So, Lord, we trust you, the sovereign God, to work in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We receive it to our hearts. Amen.